Treason, Sedition, Rebellion. This is the heritage of the American Patriot. Those revolutionaries who stood on principle to fight against tyranny no matter the cost. And that spirit lives strong today in the activists and freedom fighters who fight against the authoritarian state. Each in their own way, each with their own mission, united for the I cause. I had the idea to run on a platform of fuck the police prior to actually winning the primary. Uh, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of shit. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. You brought a freaking guillotine. People already pushing back in ways that didn't even need any votes to be cast. I'm not ratting on anybody, and I did what I did, so you're going to have to give me what the law says you have to give me. You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. Hope I don't get canceled. Talk to you. These are the people whose stories I'm here to share. I'm Justin O'Donnell, and this is Submersive. Man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, anarchists, activists, shit posters, and people of the internet, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Subversive. I'm your host, Justin O'Donnell. And before we get started, just remember whatever platform you listen on, whether it's YouTube, Live, Odyssey, Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Anchor on the Air with LRN.FM, we're back after a hiatus. You can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing with your friends. If you enjoy the content, you can join our insurgency by heading on over to patreon.com slash o'donnell where you can sign up for a tier as low as three dollars a month to help support the show support the activism and keep things running over here for the program and make sure to check out our sponsor sexwag.com where you can get all your favorite liberty merch and for those of you in new hampshire you can get our brand new designs for your roots at home home in new hampshire laying down your roots that's what free staters are all about putting down roots in the community and getting things started. So head on over to snackswag.com where you can get all your favorite new merch, wear your principles literally on your sleeves, including some great new collections of subversive merch, merchandise, mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, and even some patches and stickers to throw in your car. And if you want to keep in touch between shows, just follow me on social media. Uh, or join our community Discord channel, where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time. All those links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to, so make sure to check it out today. Now, first things first, before we jump into our postmortem of the election, just a brief little announcement for those of you who have been following for a while. I have been working on a new book, a new project, the Live Free and Thrive, 100 Reasons Why Liberty Lives in New Hampshire. Uh, it's an old project that needed to be revamped, brought up to current times, so... The new book's been published. It's live on Amazon. You can go get your copy today. It's great. Um, we actually hit number one bestseller status in a couple different categories on Amazon uh, just in the first weekend of release, but it's available in Kindle and paperback version on Amazon.com. Link again in the description. Make sure you go grab your copy today. Now, it's been a week. We've let tempers cool. We've let everything kind of settle back into our daily dose of reality, almost our daily dose of reality is the election is not really over here in New Hampshire. We still have 20 some odd recounts going through uh, next Monday with the balance of the New Hampshire House in sway with every single one of them. Uh, but it's been a ride. It's another election year in the books, and this one was a roller coaster, if any. A bunch of ups, bunch of downs. We had wins, we had losses, a good deal of fun. Uh, but I can't say I'm not glad it's over. Uh, in fact, it being over is probably the best part of it. Uh, if any of you have followed me, I've been balls to the wall, so to speak, uh, the past 
eight months to a year working for Jeremy Kaufman. I was his campaign manager for his libertarian campaign for U.S. Senate here in New Hampshire, as well as helping a whole bunch of other candidates across the board, across the country, up and down the ticket. Uh, I do have a lot of thoughts on things we could have done better and things I wish we could do over and feelings about how things went, but that's not really the gist of this. Uh, that's all for another time. That's more of a postmortem on strategy and how we can improve our can candidates and campaigns at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, we did get over 12,000 votes. Jeremy hit 2%, and we at least had fun doing it. We reached a lot of new people, and we made some of the best political ads of all time. If I do say so myself, uh, it was a blast to see those go and the reaction that everyone had. Um, but we certainly were not the only ones disappointed at the end of the day. Heck, for weeks leading up to this election, all anyone could talk about was the coming red wave. And, well, the red wave turned out to be a blood clot, or maybe the better way to put it is a miscarriage, an abortion at the end of the day, because Republicans did not get the wave they were looking for. Um, turns out the question of abortion was the deciding motivator for this election cycle. The Roe v. Wade decision that everyone wanted to brush under the rug and just ignore uh, gave the Democrats record fundraising. It turned out a record number of young voters, white women under 35, turned out to be the swing vote that turned the election in the highest vote totals on midterms in history. And this translated to Democratic wins up and down the ballot, even with record and higher than normal undervoting rates on down ballot races. Um, some races are more interesting than watched others. And some of the results more indicative of possibly even the end of the Trump era populism that we've seen driving right wing politics in the recent years. And I just wanted to cover a few of my takeaways from what we did see. And I'm not going to hit all 50 states in every result in every election across the country. It's just kind of five that stuck out to me. And a handful that stuck out to me as being big indicators of what went wrong. Now, first, right here home in New Hampshire. Um, the polls are wrong. The polls have never, ever, ever been more wrong. And we relied on polls. Everyone relied on polls. That's all they wanted to rely on was the polls. But the reality is, even the Republicans were relying on polls. And in the last days of the election, everybody thought Don Bolduck, General Don Bolduck, the uh, alt-right MAGA, whatever the hell you want to call him, he's just a, another warmongering Republican wearing a suit and telling people how he's an everyman, was polling neck and neck, tied race, pulling ahead. And everyone thought that it was a close race that maybe had a decent chance of a libertarian showing. And what we were treated to instead was a bloodbath and a blowout, a 10 point swing in favor of incumbent Maggie Hassan strolling her way back into Senate as the most lobbied Senator in history. And with a $40 million campaign coffers and Republicans didn't just lose the Senate race. They lost both congressional seats in New Hampshire and most of the gains they made in the state legislature in the previous session. Uh, the balance of power in New Hampshire is now, after yesterday's recounts, 202 Republicans to 198 Democrats. Uh, that is a slim enough majority that attendance is going to matter on things as subtle as the Speaker of the House nominations. Um, but, like, how did everyone get it so wrong? I mean, national Republicans got it wrong. Local Republicans got it wrong. Everybody predicted a red wave here in New Hampshire. Everybody thought that General Bolduc was going to make that difference. And Republicans started infusing millions of out-of-state money at the last second to try and push him over the hump. Now, 
I door knocked myself. I was out there campaigning myself, not for Baldick. I hated him, but for other candidates. And at the doors, talking to voters, the only issue we kept getting faced with was inflation, economy, lockdowns. I even had voters complaining about ESG scores and corporate governance. Like it, it felt like we were getting ready to see a red wave. I felt like we were getting ready to see a red wave. The voters that were willing to speak up were strong in voicing their disappointment with the status quo of the Biden administration. I, I've never been so wrong. <laughs> I, I've never been so surprised at the results of public sentiment before, and I've never seen polls so dramatically wrong and off across the board. Uh, but it turns out that six months of nonstop advertising claiming that Republicans were intent on banning abortion and destroying women's rights, that the Republicans decided to just not answer and ignore, well, that was the pill that was needed, and white women under 35 showed up to vote with record new voter registration, record voter turnout, and that young voter demographic swung that election in favor of the incumbent, when that incumbent shouldn't have been in office in the first place. Now, Georgia, another one, <laughs> another crazy one. Um, now, I'm not sure if you all remember Georgia. Uh, but let me bring that one up. Chase Oliver uh, ran as a libertarian in Georgia's U.S. Senate race. He won 2% of the vote, the same as Jeremy Kaufman. Now, it's just another race thrown to a runoff. Okay, uh, another delay in determining the balance of the U.S. Senate. Um, they're going to have another election in Georgia. Libertarians are once again taking credit and rejoicing in the fact that they spoiled a race. But I have to ask, is spoiling the race even a worthwhile goal in a state that has runoffs? Because at the end of the day, Chase Oliver won't have actually had any effect or impact on the outcome of the race. as A Democrat's going to win again, uh, just delayed by a bit. And in the meantime, more money is going to be spent on campaigns, more tax money and government resources are going to be spent to hold another statewide election, and Georgian voters are going to just be asked to cast about without Chase on it in the first place. And don't get me wrong, Chase ran a great race, and his 2% showing is nothing to shy at. Uh, but when the dust settles, he won't have had any meaningful impact on the outcome of that election. And he peaked with the same percentage as Jeremy Kaufman in New Hampshire, which uh, the same libertarians that are celebrating Chase's performance are decrying Jeremy as a wasted, worthless uh, performance that was a disgrace to the Libertarian Party. But 2% is 2%. Not impacting an election is not impacting an election. Just delaying the results doesn't actually imp impact them. But the difference is Chase was actually included in a televised debate. Georgian voters were given the opportunity to hear Chase make his case on equal footing with the Republicans and Democrats. And he still only peaked at 2%. The same percentage as Jeremy Kaufman, who was excluded from the debates and not covered by traditional media. And when Chase was in this debate, he destroyed the policy positions of the Republicans and the Democrats and took them to town. But at the end of the day... All his 2% does is force a runoff, where the Georgian voters are going to be asked to go out once again, cast their ballot once again, and this time, not have him as an option. But libertarians and the Beltway types and the Libertarian Party will continue to hold him up as the poster boy for losing in a respectable fashion. 
even though his progressive leanings and respectable presentation gathered no more vote percentage than Jeremy Kaufman's outlandish advertisements and provocative campaigning. So what did we learn there? Nothing. Now, the real fun one that we really want to talk about, and I know everyone wants to talk about, is Pennsylvania. <laughs> I mean, God, picture this. You got a Republican candidate who is a carpet-bagging, anti-gun snake oil salesman whose claim to fame is shilling fraudulent weight loss scams to Oprah's audience as a fake guru. This should have been an easy no contest, walk away win for any competent Democrat. It shouldn't have even been a contested election at that point. Dr. Mehmet Oz is and was a snake oil salesman who didn't represent the people of Pennsylvania, who's barely won their open primary with a minority of the vote. He didn't even represent Republicans in Pennsylvania, and he sure didn't represent the Republican ideology that's prevalent today. So who did the Democrats throw at this? Well, enter John Fetterman. A brain-damaged everyman built like an offensive lineman who hasn't remembered to go to leg day in a decade. Um, his casual approach and demeanor makes him seem approachable and relatable. His signature campaign outfit is a Carhartt hoodie. But then, then he went and spoke. He opened his mouth. And, well, that should have been the death knell of any campaign once the man like this speaks. It was astounding to watch. We're just going to take a gander and listen to his debate performance uh, where he debated Please against Dr. Mehmet Oz. changing position, 60 seconds. Uh, I, I've, I've always supported fracking, and I always believe that independence with our energy is, is critical, and we can't be held, you know... You know, ransom to somebody like Russia. You're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking, but there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Oh, uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. Okay. Took him 10 whole seconds to even process that he was being asked a question. And Benzo and Chet, you are 100% correct. Pennsylvania should have had the biggest libertarian turnout of any state in the union for governor, given the options between a carpet-bagging snake oil salesman and a literal brain-damaged stroke victim. Literally. John Fetterman suffered a debilitating major stroke that hindered his speech and auditory processing capability. He can't hold conversations. He can't understand the things that are being told to him. This is known information that his campaign has even confirmed but he continued to campaign after that stroke doing his best to assure voters that his doctors said he was fit to serve but he had to do so in between incoherent mumblings and non sequiturs his debate performance could generously be described as embarrassing but in reality it was offensive offensive to the informed voters being asked to consider his candidacy as viable and at the end of the day, offensive to the notion that democracy brings out the best in our representation. Pennsylvania voters, at the end of the day, chose to send John Fetterman to the U.S. Senate for six years and gave us a fantastic reason to distrust the democratic process and rethink our system of government entirely because they decided to elect a retarded stroke victim 
who is incapable of processing information in real time and communicating his ideas to represent their state in the U.S. Senate for the next six years. This is abuse, folks. But I think we're gearing up to see Biden Fetterman 2024 because that will be a real no-brainer. At least the memes will be hilarious. Now, the takeaway I want to get to, one of my favorite results, Arizona. Arizona is an interesting case. I mean, here's a question for y'all. What do you get when you cross a principled but naive libertarian candidate? A former libertarian who's embraced state violence as necessary and is running as a Republican. And a stand-up comedian who thinks he's the next coming of the Messiah for libertarian political strategy. Well, we'll call it the biggest embarrassment for the Libertarian Party since Bill Weld thought he would fit in. But let's back up a step here. Blake Masters is no Libertarian. Blake Masters, the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Arizona, courted that Libertarian vote, wanted that Libertarian vote, went out of his way to court endorsements from prominent Libertarians like Ron Paul and Dave Smith, but he didn't change his tune. He's been open about what he is the whole time. Blake Masters. Um, he, he ran for Senate on a platform of war hawking that would make John McCain blush. Now, he wanted to, in his platform, make America safe again, but is America's first strong and smart national defense is hyper-focused on getting rid of wokeness in the military as if that's an actual problem. But goes out of his way to put in his actual official platform that the U.S. military should be involved in the defense of Israel uh, and that we should be getting tough on China, our top geopolitical rival, and posturing with the new Cold War. And then promoting the fact that he was endorsed by Trump is kind of his number one campaign point. He wants to engage in protectionist trade policies, putting tariffs on imports and exports and making sure everything's manufactured in America to limit competition and actually hinder our economic growth. Uh, he wants to triple the size of border patrol. He wants to triple the size of federal law enforcement agencies. He wants to ramp up inflation on the drug war. Um, and he actually did want to ban abortion and strip away women's rights at the levels that they've become accustomed to. Other than his pro-Bitcoin stance, where he wants to regulate it and accept the fact that the U.S. government has a stance in Bitcoin, Blake Masters was not libertarian at all. Now, he was at one point in history, if you look back, before he got involved in uh, with Peter Thiel and helping found Palantir, you know, the domestic surveillance and intelligence apparatus that helps swings elections and uh, spies on American citizens day to day, uh, before his involvement with the NSA and becoming a spook for the federal government, uh, he, he was a libertarian in college. He wrote a lot of articles about how angry he was with the health department for shutting down his kitchen at his vegan co-op because it was unsanitary. Well, <laughs> to hear Dave Smith tell it the Peter Thiel acolyte with connections to the Palantir and NSA intelligence apparatuses and domestic ins surveillance institutions, he stood a chance to become the second most libertarian member of the U.S. Senate if he won. That's a low fucking bar, if you ask me. Really low fucking bar. 
And following the unfortunate PR mishandling of a debate question by libertarian Mark Victor, arguably an incredibly principled and straightforward libertarian who is naive, Mark managed to be convinced that Blake was in support of his libertarian principles. Regardless of everything Blake says, tweets, and campaigns on, he said the right things to Mark, and Mark dropped out and dropped to his knees to fillet the opposition in a cry for relevancy and increased liberty on short time preference. But at the end of the day, all the time, all the manpower, all the money sunk into supporting Mark Victor's uh, third-party run for U.S. Senate in Arizona, all of the volunteer time, support, and effort, and emotional energy by libertarians in Arizona to support him and get him to that point was for naught because he dropped out at the last second to endorse Blake Masters in the biggest Bill Weldon move and the biggest embarrassment the Libertarian Party has had since Bill Weld. All the urging and encouragement of your Messiah, Dave Smith. And at the end of that day, all that was for nothing because Masters didn't stand a chance. He was blown out when it mattered. Now, it wasn't all losses by Republicans on Tuesday. We got to talk about them. Florida. Florida wasn't a loss. Florida. Florida was a fascinating win for Republicans. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis won re-election by a double-digit margin. He cemented his place as the new face of the Republican Party moving forward. Uh, immediately set the stage for 2024 to become a showdown between Trump and DeSantis, or DeSanctimonious, as Trump has started calling him, which is beautiful if you don't ask, if you ask my opinion. But it's not the heart and soul of the Republican Party that's at stake. It's a fight over whether or not there's a place for Trump's brand of unprincipled outsider populism in politics moving forward. And it's not like DeSantis is any less bombastic in his campaign approach than Trump was, even though he does it with a little more gravitas and professionalism. Uh, in the final days of the campaign, DeSantis's campaign actually released a video ad, which I want to play for you here. Let me find it. And... Uh, here we go. Available on Odyssey. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a protector. So God made a fighter. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, kiss his family goodbye, travel thousands of miles for no other reason than to serve the people, to save their jobs, their livelihoods, their liberty, their happiness. So God made a fighter. God said, I need someone to be strong, advocate truth in the midst of hysteria, someone who challenges conventional wisdom and isn't afraid to defend what he knows to be right and just. So God made a fighter. God said, I need somebody who will take the arrows, stand firm in the wake of unrelenting attacks, Look a mother in the eyes and tell her that her child will be in school. She can keep her job, go to church, eat dinner with friends, and hold the hand of an aging parent taking their breath for the last time. So God made a fighter. God said, I need a family man. A man who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes. When his daughter says she wants to spend her life doing what dad does. So God made a fighter. 
paid for by Ron DeSantis, Republican for governor. Now, I'm not a Christian by anyone's definition of that. But I'm pretty sure telling everyone that you were sent by God to fight for their freedom is the definition of blasphemy. Now, I joke about Dave Smith portraying himself as the new messiah of the liberty movement, but Ron DeSantis is actually trying to campaign for governor and I'm pretty sure president on the fact that he thinks he actually is the new messiah. And he's campaigning to the Christian right in what I can only imagine if they were in their right minds would be considered blasphemous and offensive to the 10th degree. But they're going to be faced with a choice in 2024. And it's going to be fascinating to see how a battle between two narcissists plays out in the Republican primary. Will the religious right choose the guy trying to persuade himself as the next coming of Jesus or the guy who mocks the disabled and brags about sexually assaulting women. Either way, it's going to be another absolutely fantastic opportunity for the Libertarian Party to flush down the drain. Now on Twitch, uh, guess who farted this guy? You ask, how come no one has mentioned the demographic shifts in New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania? All of them have lost massive amounts of middle and upper class people. And what was left? Heavy, poor, urban populations. I think that absolutely plays to the heart of what's going on right now. And we've seen in COVID, we saw in the shift in the economy and the move towards a remote economy, people working from home, a lot of middle and upper class people no longer needed to stick in urban centers. They no longer needed to stick in blue states to live their way of life. And people who are sick and tired of the government taking as much of their paycheck as they can and dictating every facet of their everyday lives are fleeing for the hills of states like New Hampshire and Texas and Florida to get out of these blue states, to go where they can be free. And what that's doing is creating an even more and bigger divide as blue states just get bluer and conditions get worse. The poor get poorer because the rich and the elite will continue to enforce their power. Now, but where does this leave us? Okay. Where does this actually leave us? The balance of power, bringing things back home here to New Hampshire. We saw Republicans take heavy, unexpected losses at the local level in our state legislature. And, you know, in time of recording this, and this is subject to wide flux and change, the current balance of power in the New Hampshire House of Representatives seems to be 202 to 198 in favor of Republicans. Uh, with one election was overturned yesterday on a recount, and but there's more than 16 additional recounts happening this week. Uh, so we'll see where we end up at the end of the week. Well, the state Senate finally broke its 12-12 gridlock and it finally has a Republican majority for the first time in a long, long time. Uh, that was thanks to recent gerrymandering by Republicans. Props, I do support gerrymandering. Uh, Democracy is a failed system. You might as well abuse it. Uh, the executive branch with the executive council and the governor is firmly in hand of moderate Republicans who don't want to do anything radical in support of freedom. But Chris Sununu is world renowned for his ability to stroke that red pen and stroke his own ego at the same time. Uh, in fact, I actually think this is a good thing for libertarians. While it might not be a great thing for Republicans, uh, the balance of power in the state house shifting more towards parity instead of a 
out uh, supreme majority by one party or the other, it creates a unique opportunity. Uh, because while Republicans did take heavy losses, Libertarians running under their banner actually had more wins than ever before, with over 50 Libertarians getting elected to the state house while running as Republicans, and a few as Democrats as well. So what we're seeing here is more NHLA, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, and Libertarian Party uh, member in disguise and Libertarians in New Hampshire elected than ever before. And with such a tight majority, that caucus is likely the swing caucus that the disposition of every bill is going to rely heavily on, as well as the attendance of reps. Um, the Libertarian bloc of the Republican Party is actually going to have the ability to swing and this is the opportunity that free staters have been waiting for. Use the acquired political power to push through some of our more left-leaning political objectives, such as full legalization of cannabis, including home growth, decriminalization of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes, election law reforms like right choice voting or approval voting. We might actually have the opportunity to get those things done this year. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's where I'm pushing forward to moving forward and what I'm encouraging people to do. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, we have this great organization in New Hampshire called the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Uh, they are a fantastic organization. Uh, you should check them out nhliberty.org uh, for more information on what they do and how they function. Uh, they held their twice annual uh, legislative summit this past week, uh, where about 50 uh, brand new elected state reps and hardcore activists all got together uh, to lobby network and work together on legislation and discuss our legislative priorities for the coming year. And we first heard that it was, it was a great night from veteran state rep Dan McGuire, uh, who talked about the uh, legislative budgeting process and what opportunities, pitfalls, risks, and everything that were involved in the process of budgeting uh, for the video uh, for the state budget and how libertarians had an opportunity to impact that budgeting process to help push forward libertarian agendas. Um, and then we heard from Americans for Prosperity's Ross Conley, uh, who talked about the legislative priorities of their organization and what they're helping to push lobbying on this year with a heavy focus on finally getting past a broad scope legalization bill for cannabis in the state of New Hampshire, one that's not cronyist, one that doesn't involve the Liquor Commission, one that um, will still see the lowest taxes in New England, the most freedom, home grow. Uh, it, it's a great bill. They're looking for sponsors and co-sponsors for, and they're looking for activists to help lobby for it. Uh, there is video from that event. I did record it. It's up on this channel. If you go back in the videos tab, uh, it's the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance 2022 Summit. You can see Dan and Ross's talks. And then after they talked, we had a great networking event where activists like myself and lobbyists and state reps all get to mingle and discuss our legislative priorities. And where I'm coming from here, I have two legislative priorities for myself. There, there are two major pieces of legislation that I'm supporting, that New Hampshire Liberty Alliance reps are supporting, that we're trying to push this year. The first one of those is something you guys have heard me talk about before. It's nothing new to the channel. It's nothing new to my activism. I've spoken on it at events. I've been helping push it. I helped pay to produce an ad that was run in support of this, not just in New Hampshire, but nationally. It's a 50-state effort. And it's an organization called Defend the Guard. And they are pushing legislation in all 50 states, including here in New Hampshire. And you can learn more about it at defendtheguard.us, uh, which is their website, or bringourtroopshome.us. And this legislation 
is incredible. There's videos I'll link to in the description in the card at the end uh, when this video does publish, um, where you can go see my interview with uh, State Representative Matthew Sintonastazo, uh, who was one of the sponsors of this bill last time around, about the importance of Defend the Guard legislation. You can see videos from our events and rallies that we've held talking about Defend the Guard legislation and the importance of it, because at the gist of it is, it prohibits the state from allowing the deployment of our National Guard resources without an official declaration of war by the U.S. Congress. It forces Congress to do their job, okay? And that little bit of accountability is something that can have a profound impact on the relationship between the states and the federal government. And that little bit of impact profoundly can affect your liberty in a greater manner. So I'm going to be working very hard and very diligently with the Defend the Guard folks to help push this and lobby for this, testify on its behalf, and help work with legislators to see what amendments need to be made and to craft a bill that can work to get passed to make New Hampshire more free and defend our state assets, our neighbors, our sons, our brothers, our family members uh, from being victims of federal wars with no oversight and no accountability. And the other piece of legislation I'm helping to push is kind of a New Hampshire brood one. It's not something being pushed by any organization. Um, it's something came up in my own research, <laughs> uh, and I convinced uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance's secretary, um, Mary Smith, to help push it. And a lot of people talk about jury nullification all the time. And in fact, there's only two states in the country that have any passed any sort of measure codifying jury nullification as a right of a jury. Uh, it's inherently a right of a jury in any kind of system that has juror preeminence where, and double jeopardy and a recognition that jurors cannot be punished for making the quote-unquote wrong decision. Um, but jury nullification is the right of a jury to judge not just the facts of a case, but the application and applicability of the law itself. And the in New Hampshire, we had passed about a decade ago a law granting the rights of the accused, giving a, a defendant the right to inform a jury about their right to nullify the law as part of their defense. The Supreme Court in New Hampshire actually struck that down uh, in a case, Rich Paul, uh, State of New Hampshire versus Rich Paul, um, which might be a familiar name to those of you active in New Hampshire. Uh, he's a longtime activist and not the most sympathetic plaintiff and uh, defendant in such a case. Um, but if you actually look at the facts of the case from any kind of fully informed jury or principled standpoint, Rich Paul had absolutely the right to tell that jury that they had the right to nullify his case because they disagreed with the law, even though he was guilty of the law, that the law was unjust. Um, now, the Fully Informed Jury Association is a great organization uh, that works for jury information, jury education, and informing people about their rights as jurors and the importance of jury duty and how they can have an impact with things like jury nullification because jury nullification is something you can do as a jury in any state or federal trial, even if it's not on the books. You can nullify a bad law. However, many states will declare a mistrial if they find out you knew about jury nullification or if somebody tells you about jury nullification and they'll try and wipe it out. So they're working, they, they, pose, they propose model legislation and they um, help, will help lobby on issues of jury nullification in states where it's being considered. And we are looking for a state rep to become the prime sponsor of a good 
effective jury nullification bill that passes constitutional muster here in New Hampshire. And that is my other legislative priority that I'm going to be working on, uh, like I said. And it, it, those two issues are two of the more important ones to me. And uh, like I said, if you guys want to learn more about those processes and those help and the organizations working behind that, you can check out nhliberty.org to join the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance or just keeping track of what they're doing. Um, now, where I'm going from here with the show, with the program, and what we're doing from now on is going to be very tied into my work with New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and my work on these bills. Uh, I might not have mentioned, but... The New Hampshire legislature this year is being presented with over 1,200 pieces of legislation. I think it's 1,226 currently. There is still an opportunity for that number to get larger. Um, every single one of those bills will receive a committee hearing and will receive a vote. There is not enough time in the day, in the week, in the month, or in the year for a representative in the New Hampshire General Court to read, review, and uh, and muster a fully formed opinion on all 1,200 pieces of legislation they are presented with. And that's where we come in. And that's where New Hampshire Liberty Alliance comes in. That's where libertarians come in. Um, in order to know which bills are going to have the greatest impact, which ones will promote liberty, which ones need to be opposed in defense of liberty, it's important to review each and every one of those bills, to read them thoroughly to dissect them and to write a review on them. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing a lot of that. Uh, people like Zephan Wood, people like Tom Mannion, people like Alu Axelman are also going to be involved in doing that. Some great libertarian activists here in New Hampshire. Uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance takes all these reviews, takes these trusted libertarian vetters of legislation uh, to divvy up that pie and read, review, research, and vet the bills to present summaries on voting days to the libertarian state reps in the state house with recommendations on whether or not they should be passed, whether or not they should be amended, whether or not they should be tabled, discussed, pushed to a study committee, or whatnot to help our liberty-minded legislators make the best voting decisions they can. So moving forward for at least the next couple of months, the focus of my time and my activism will be on reviewing these draft bills, writing these reviews and recommendations, and helping these organizations lobby for increased freedom and liberty in New Hampshire, locally. And I advise, even if you're not in New Hampshire, to do something similar where you are. It's not that hard to get a copy of legislation before your state and to review it and make your recommendations known. But I'm going to be doing it here for New Hampshire, and I'm taking all of you with me. Perfect question. Sarah in the chat asks, stupid question, is there a class to learn how to review the draft bills? Yes, there is. And if you're in New Hampshire and you want to check out nhliberty.org, they do have a calendar uh, where there is uh, classes scheduled on bill review sessions. There's one coming up in Manchester this coming weekend, one coming up in Lee the weekend after. Um, they are free. You can come, bring a laptop, learn how to use the systems, how to navigate them, and how to get involved. These events are also on the Free State Project calendar on fsb.org slash calendar. So check those out. You can get involved. Uh, and Libertarians here in New Hampshire are begged to help with this process. Uh, and I'm going to be pitching this show to doing just that. 
So for at least the next few months, as we're reviewing these bills, we'll batch them up by subject, lot number, involvement, what's on the schedule, and whatnot. And at least one to three times a week, we'll be doing a live stream, whether an hour or four hours, where we'll be going over the bills live. And not just me, not just you in chat, but I'll be having some guests from the New Hampshire legislature, state reps like Tom Mannion, former state reps like Melissa Blazik, activists like Alu Axelman, uh, and Zephan Wood, uh, Jeff and Melissa Cream, the uh, the head honchos over at New Hampshire Liberty Lines, people to join the program to help review these bills, to help promote the idea of reviewing your legislation and getting active locally. And we're, that's going to become the focus of this show and the focus of my blog. If you're not a member, if you're not a follower of the blog, the weekly newsletter that goes out accompanying this program. And for at least a few months, we're going to hightail into that focus of trying to have a local impact. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are looking forward to it. And I hope we can all get along on that path to freedom. And alongside that, during my days, I will continue to be filming and documenting as much as we can. Because uh, we are still filming our new documentary, Live Free and Thrive, 101 Reasons Why Liberty Lives in New Hampshire. And so should you uh, to go with our new book, which paperback copies are available. The book will be, the movie should be available this winter as well. And another thing we're giving away for free. But if you want to help support those projects, if you want to help get involved, check the link in the description to see how you can get in touch, get involved, and help make Liberty win in your lifetime. But that's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And make sure to leave a comment. Let me know what you thought and what, what topics you want to see covered in the future. And until next time, be free. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Subversive. Make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live on YouTube. And make sure to leave some comments and reviews on whatever platform you listen on to let me know what you thought of this episode. And a huge thanks and shout out to our sponsors and the awesome members of the Insurgency on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can join the Insurgency on Patreon by following the links in the description for patreon.com slash And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts every day. So until next time, everybody, be free.